This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, of course, in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. And we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. And we're in the Melvin Law Studio, a great supporter of the show. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators and a full-service legal firm. Support all of our sponsors who support us. This is the way we build a network. And uh, we've got a lot of wonderful people here who help us take a look at them. We've got style cuts, get your ears set out, uh, your hair cut, if you tend to have them. Our guest today doesn't go that way, but that's Okay. You know, he's the modern dude, and we'll talk with him. He's really uh, an exciting guest today. Really looking forward to you hearing what he has to say, which really, I don't think we can cram it all into one hour. I'm going to hold his book up here. I think you can see it on my screen, uh, believe it. I just got it, and that's Amazon, the city that lost control. A hell of a read, and it's very well detailed. It's um, it's written like fiction, and it has a antagonist in it, and we all know who that is. It's the Wicked Witch, uh, the evil personified, I'll say it, P. Green Underhand, which is my name for her, and her cult following that pretty much has ruined the utility. Uh, that's sort of the story today, and we have a good man, uh, some, you know, all good people, uh, and this is why I'm not technically a good man, by definition, are somewhat naive and trusting. That's how they are good. And this is classic. I mean, this is Hamlet. This is Shakespeare. You know, nobody could figure out that Claudius did it because it was beyond their wildest imagination that Claudius would kill King Hamlet to take over the kingdom and kill his own brother. People just couldn't believe it. Well, I got to say that our hero is sort of that way. Uh, <laughs> he came in a trusting man. He came in a man devoted to doing his job the honest way. And he's a devoted family man. And uh, you name it. And by golly, that didn't matter. A tinker's damn to the powers that be. And he learned the hard way. There's only one missing character in his book. And I told him this before he went on the air. And it's the blind prophet. That is in all of Greek drama, Tiresias. Tiresias told Creon in Antigone, don't do it, Creon. You can't do it that way. And way early on, my good buddy, Ed Bolarski, I informed him as Tiresias, the blind prophet, of all places in the basement of the Hippodrome. Ed, do not trust the Gainesville City Commission. They will fire you. And of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's possible. Somebody asked me today, Ed, can you still get your old job back? Uh, we'll get into that, whether you want to actually reapply again. And you may end up goring them a little bit with that. That would be most <laughs> interesting. Ed Belarski yeah. from the Ward Scott Files. Take it away, sir. Tell us your story. Well, thank you. I mean, what what a great introduction. You're, you're right. I still remember... Uh, that evening we went to the Hippodrome and my wife was there. And, you know, I, what I remember about that is that we both, both married above our level. Uh, right. You know, um, my wife met yours and, uh, you know, it was a really good evening. And I think when you said something about they're going to fire you, I think uh, Bobby Hutchinson was within earshot of that. And kind of <laughs> said, huh? you know, what, what, what is this guy telling the new uh, general manager? Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was the setup. Yeah, you you were the blind prophet. Uh, so yeah, I came into Gainesville. Um, you know, I had a history of uh, 
you know, fighting uh, against bigger organizations, being the underdog. And I think that's what some people saw uh, that was a real uh, benefit in this situation. And uh, that's what I did. Um, I went to work uh, and tried to make the utility a, a better organization, a more fluid, more efficient organization, um, despite the, the fact that uh, monies were being siphoned off the organization at, at higher levels than uh, the profits that they actually made. I mean, it was just, you know, um, I came on board with the idea of getting out of the biomass plant. We're able to do that. And then you start working on other things. And it is an unsustainable practice, was an unsustainable practice. And it was my job to alert the world once I got educated, as you suggest. <laughs> well, here's the thing about your work that is uh, like fiction. There's a series of discoveries by the protagonist. And they're not always the learning events he wanted, you know. Oh, can you, absolutely. Can you take us through some of those? Because this is what compels the book to progress. What is this nice man going to be hit with next? And how will he react? And that's kind of drives the storyline. Uh, right. And we are suspenseful. Will he actually be able to get through to the communist commissioners like Seiko, Psycho, or uh, the bully Harvey. I got a name for all of them. The bully Harvey Ward. And, you know, Lauren Poe, he was nobody at Santa Fe College. Okay? This is often the story, Ed. I was a Senate president for four years at, at Santa Fe. Okay? These guys like Warren Nielsen and Lauren, nobody knew them. Nobody would listen to him at the college. How come they listen to him at the city? Anyway, let me step aside and let you continue. Yeah, sure. Now, I, I, you know, when you have situations in where somebody can be elected by a mere couple hundred people in a district, and then they go in, I, I mean, listen, the folks that ended up becoming commissioners, the, the joke around City Hall by the folks that work there would be none of them could be hired as a city employee. I mean, they didn't have the qualifications to work at the city, yet they were part of the governing board of the utility and the rest of the city. Um, they came in with agendas and biases um, that, quite frankly, when I came to town, I that was one of the big things I had to learn. Um, this was not just a business solution. That's why I start the book on... December 7th, 2017, because to me, you know, when I sat back and said, what have I learned? This is a story that needs to be told uh, because we don't have newspapers in the town, at least at that time. You know, the Alachua Chronicle has really changed that. You were one of the forerunners to exposing uh, what was happening in government um, in Gainesville. But at that time, you didn't have a voice that was exposing, you know, things that were going on at City Hall. So there was just silence in that regard. So on December 7, 2017, I had my first glimpse at the beast, if you will. And that, that beast was a night I was called down um, for all intents and purposes for the last day of work. I was going to be fired. And uh, that's where I thought the story ought to begin from, uh, because that was my epiphany. That was my, you know, realization that the blind, I should have listened to the blind prophet. <laughs> so from that point on, there is the, the realization. Uh, I go back and think about what has happened up to that point, what I brought to the table what I uh, what I saw now in the reflection of what actually happened, and then I realized that wasn't the biomass plant that was the problem. It was the folks that got us into the biomass plant and all 
of the baggage that they brought, all the agenda-driven plans. This wasn't a 2013 going into commercial operations problem. This was a 2009 getting into the biomass plant PPA problem. This was the you know, firing of, of Mike Kurtz and the idea that um, we could change the world once, you know, through the city by being in accordance with the Kyoto Accord with no idea that you're hurting the people that are most affected and can least respond to it. I mean, there's that dichotomy that exists in this city that, you know, rates should go up because people will lose, will use less power. Well, the only people that can use less power are those that uh, can afford to get solar and that can be subsidized by the other people in the system, which are the ones that can least afford it. Nobody wants to go down that route and see the reality. Instead, don't look behind the curtain. Just keep on moving. And that was the epiphany for me, was that disconnect with reality and the plans that they had for the utility that they just wouldn't change, no matter how many times you looked at it. I mean, Ward, you have, you've had businesses. You've been a city manager. Did you ever give dividends? Did you ever take more money from an organization that they actually made in profit? Did you ever tell people, don't talk about that? You know, this, this is unconscionable way to handle the people's money. And then you have people that are living outside the jurisdiction, 40% of the people living outside city limits, paying for those inside that have no idea. They're not going to change the way they operate. So it was a battle shaping up for the past two decades. And now it's culminating in the bill that we have that's been enacted by the uh, governor. Great run-up to really just the beginning because your first epiphany was you realized this is a story about human beings. It's not a story about science. It's no, a story about yeah. ideology and religion, a cult. Um, you actually have got the term cult in your book, which I think is a good use of the term. Uh, we have a cult feminine hero here, uh, Hanrahan, who is... Uh, Undeterred, even today, I don't know that there's any remorse or recognition of culpability on her part. Uh, she's certainly not stuck her head out of the foxhole at all. But, um, you know, I knew all these people. I know all these people. Uh, I know what they're like. I've dealt with them. I've been a city manager. I've been a Senate president. I've been a candidate for uh, the county commission. I've managed campaigns. Uh, people were finally dealing with people. And another thing we're dealing with, Ed, is a flawed government model. We should never, this is before your time, not just in my opinion, we have, should never have gone to seven commissioners. Five commissioners, you know, that's unwieldy enough. Right. But five commissioners, and when we had five commissioners once upon a time, we had mostly business people. A lot of the JCs would step up to be involved because it was business. And uh, Jimmy Painter, uh, some of these guys were all interested in building the city as a financially solvent place. And their businesses reflected that. Do you know the story of how we went to seven instead of five? I got the story if you don't. No, yeah, no, I, th I think you ought to do that. I mean, I, I know at those commission meetings, you're right. Um, I mean, just the the... the the uh, mathematical increase from five to seven and every one of them having to say something about every issue. I remember sitting up on the dais, you know, thinking, geez, can I get back to work and run the utility? I mean, I had my notepad and I had my, uh, my laptop and I would try to conduct business while I'm on the dais with, uh, you know, my staff. And at one point, uh, not to, uh, you know, you can get to your, your point from the five to seven. I don't want to lose that. Um, but the commission really wanted folks 
that we're working in the trenches, that's my term, you know, um, working 24-7 to take time out of their schedule to be at commission meetings so that they could answer the question, you know. I still remember hearing commissioners and and Pagin was was great for that and going back over some of the um you know the transcripts and stuff calling them staff well we, let's just let's get just staff to do that well staff is out you know dealing with outages and dealing with uh pluggages in the wastewater system and up to their you know knees and uh, wastewater and things like that the last thing staff needs to do is be sitting at the back of the city hall chamber offices waiting for them to be called to answer a question as to you know what can be done uh to save xyz and yeah there wasn't that appreciation of what the utility did and that was one of the other epiphanies i i, I came from a utility business where i appreciated the folks that dedicated their lives to serving the community, which is what some of the commissioners should have had in their mind as well. Yet these were the true servants. These were the ones that put their life at risk. Uh, there were a lot of great employees at GRU, still are a lot of great employees, and they need to be taken care of just like the community needs to be taken care of. And the, the commission should be servants, not dictators, not the ones that are misgoverning the the utility, and I mean, even now, with all that happened with uh, JLAC, the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, and what happened with the bill, they're still talking about taking $250,000 of GRU money so that they can fight this. Well, GRU doesn't have that $250,000. GRU right now, I saw on LinkedIn, is going to have community meetings as to what to do with the next integrated resource plan the next power plant that they built, they're going to have community involvement to decide. Well, they have subject matter experts at GRU who understand the business. Every time the community has gotten involved in the selection of a power generation facility, it has went awry. That's what happened with the biomass plant. This community involvement with the IRP was the way they did it before. That's how the biomass plant was created. Now they want to do it again. They play. They go from the same playbook ward over and over. So that's the other thing I learned. Now you tell well, me they, why they we went from five to can- seven. They do it with the canine issues. They do it with everything. And then they do it also at times when nobody can show up. And the same people show up. If you check these public meetings, it's the same old hacks that show up. Um, you, know, you get kind of tired of the, the traipsing of these people who think they're important because they get a microphone. Uh, it bewilders me. That's the way it is. This five to seven was, was a mistake made by the five. I think the fellow who led it was a good friend of mine who was a businessman, who was a good mayor, but who reasoned in a flawed way and wouldn't let, nobody ever listens to me. That's what my wife says. Um, <laughs> well, she's listening to you if she's talking to you about it. Yeah, nobody ever listened to the blind prophet. But, um, <laughs> you know, I advised them, no, don't do that. You know, here's the way it worked. If the population exceeds a certain number, and I think it was 100,000. Okay. I believe that was the threshold. Then we need to add commissioners to represent the increased population. Now, this is the way the population was increased. And there's an article about it in the, in the Alligator of all places. The southwest corner of the intersection head of Archer Road and 34th Street has apartments over there back in the back. Oh, yeah. In the sure. Business area. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those are students, all right, with no bus regional, which is a not a true statement. Regional transit It's not regional. No bus to the university. So there was one organizer, a a female student, who went around and started taking signatures for a petition to be annexed into the city. And if they were annexed into the city, regional transit would have to supply the bus. 
So on the basis of about 500, I think, 71 signatures, they annexed into the city. And when they annexed into the city, they got the bus. They didn't care about, you know, all the other stuff that was triggered. That wasn't in their their, uh, radar. But that triggered more commissioners. Oh, okay. Relation had increased. You follow? Yeah. Um, hello. Hello. And once it did, of course, they had to figure out, well, we need a combination. Uh, we need uh, at large. I mean, all that came down. Adrian Hayes is Santosa. Okay. If you go back and look at his deposition, and I have it, I think, on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And Connish was the one that challenged him because Connish said, you don't really live in your district. I used to joke on the air, Adrian is a Santosa, could not remember where he slept last night. He had more versions of his residence than the proverbial Carter has liver pills. And this was a loosely applied standard to his, and he turns out to be one of the most dangerous people on that commission. Another one of these young know-it-alls who thinks they have the world by the yin-yang and haven't done anything, you know, haven't done anything. But boy, they got a seat on the dais and uh, they get a salary, which they immediately want to increase. And they, <laughs> along with the Brian Eastmans and all these guys, they become very dangerous. Um, oh, you mean you don't like uh, Brian's Substack um, articles <laughs> that he's out there on social oh, media? God. Uh, you know, he's he's one of these kids that uh, uh, the worst, of course, is my 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 description of Pagine. She's a hot, what I call a hot house plant. Hot house plant. Hot house plant. She was raised in the hot house of the university. She's an artificial person, Ed. Her her experiences are composed of going to the local schools, which were, I think she went to PK, I'm not sure, but anyway, inhabiting that academic subcircle, right? Crossing the street and going to the university, inhabiting that little tea party subcircle, right? All of which reinforces itself with its importance. I know. Oh, absolutely. People. It's a self sustaining. Yeah, yeah, I know all these people. And um, then getting the proper kinds of certifications for her generation, it's environmental stuff. You know, I knew the person who started the environmental uh, department at the University of Florida, very good friend of mine. He's passed now. I used to have him come out to Santa Fe to speak to my research class, Dr. H.T. Odom. Dr. H.T. Odom and his wife taught at Santa Fe what is about as far from a political agenda with the environmental department as you could get. But the Hanrahans turned the environmental department into political agendas. Well, that's happening across the country. I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, you, you spurred something, so I'm going to jump in here. Um, S&P just reaffirmed uh, GRU's A rating, uh, its, its credit rating, which which is down from a double A rating years ago. GRU's had numerous downgrades over the past decade due to this um, lack of adherence to accountability within its financing, its debt structures, and things like that. But one of the things that um, S&P said in this latest, and I think it's on the heels of all the things that I've, you know, let's face it, I was a change agent at, at GRU. I tried to illuminate folks as to what was happening. And part of what I illuminated was the credit agencies as to what was going on. And S&P has said that the the reason for high rates at GRU are the um, the biomass original PPA and the process that caused us to have to buy it out and the solar feed-in tariff. So when you mentioned Pagin, my mind went to that. As, as, and you, she is the primary antagonist in the book. 
because of that zeitgeist that was created at that era seven several decades ago that just made all of this so inevitable. We were going to abide by the Kyoto Accord. We were going to get to net zero come hell or high water because, as you said, houseplant in this environment, what else could you do? You're facing inevitability in the face. You can't sit back and not do anything. And that's been the reason and that's been the the goal all along with with this. And what it did, it, 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 it's destroyed a once great utility. It's financial backing, the way it's structured, the morale of the organization. It, it's, it's absolutely chaotic. So when I hear the things today that I hear about taking the utility away from uh, the citizens and those types of things, my God, it's, it's almost like social services when a parent's abusing a child. Would anybody say, no, you know, that's, that's my child. City services can't come in and, and feed that child and clothe them. Well, that's what's happening with the utility. It's been a piggy bank for the, uh, uh, for the commissioner's pet projects for years. It's about time somebody stepped in and said, no, we can't let this continue. It's for the good of the community, whether they know it or not. Governor Dorsky here. Uh, on the Ward Scott files, I'm checking the chat line. If you have a question or uh, some issue you'd like for us to bring up, we'll certainly do that. We're coming up on a break right now in the bottom of the hour for the weather, and uh, we'll get back in a moment. Uh, we're at 926. We've got a couple of more minutes before we go on our break. Uh, <clears throat> we're talking about... Um, Really, the reason this is so interesting a story to me, Ed, is that it's a story of the whole nation. It really is because of the dynamics of the characters and what they buy into. You know, what filled Hanrahan's head was an international cult, you know. To challenge this, now we have Biden doing it. And it's taken tentacles in various forms. I just read on the Wall Street Journal a moment ago before we went on the air that the unions in automobile industry are complaining to Biden about throwing all this money at electric cars without asking us about it, forcing us to go down this path. So this is a big battle. Right. It's a common sense battle. It's not that there's some not some place for reasonable alternative to fossil fuel, I'm sure. That we might discuss after the break. What are the reasonable alternatives? Um, every time we mention biomass, I'll guarantee you, Ted, that the average citizen's eyes glaze over. They don't have a they don't have a clue what you're really talking about. For them, it's taking the trash down and burning it up in the oven. The funniest thing, when we were on the radio uh, a while back, we used to have an old boy who listened to us uh, back in the sticks somewhere in rural Florida, and he had a some kind of wire hooked to a tree, and he could hear us, and we called him Hungarian Joe. And <laughs> we had a call-in show, and he would call in every time we talked about the biomass, and he would say, why don't they just take it? And turn it into a big brewery. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> and we called him Hungarian Joe because we thought, well, hell, Joe, you make as much sense as anybody. <laughs> Wait a second. We, we need to run with that biomass brew. Yeah. I kind of like that. Biomass brew. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we're going to take a bottom of the hour break now for the weather and our sponsors, uh, Lewis Oil. Uh, fossil fuel, by the way, and uh, we'll come back with Ed Blarowski in a moment. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, chapters of this story we'll never cover. We may have to have Ed back again because it's a fascinating sure. tale. Fascinating tale, and we need to spread the word. Uh, you guys are watching this show at various times during the day on some of the various platforms. Uh, be sure to spread it. Uh, we're on about 37 different platforms, and people watch it uh, you know, 24-7 in all different ways. And we have about 120,000 visitors a month 
to the wardscottfiles.com website. So um, we're trying to figure out ways to actually use that website to help this story get legs because this is a big tale. And what is detailed in it, and it's pretty tough going if you don't really understand high-powered negotiations because they were really high-powered. We weren't talking about the best price for a used car here. We were talking about a lot of slick guys who really saw Gainesville for what it was, a bunch of gullible people who could be taken advantage of. And the way I read your story, Ed, you were kind of guarding the gate to the city as much as you could, but being undermined by those you were trying to help. Absolutely. That that is the real tale that makes it kind of a tragedy. You know, I'm, Got it all down, right? Ed is endorsing what I say, which is an honor because this is one smart dude. Uh, but he didn't listen to the blind prophet. That says a lot. <laughs> we all have our Achilles heel. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to uh, Ward's Weather Report, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Good friends, Chevron stations, Wendell Lewis. you know, there's a story here we may get to. Wendell Lewis's business is on off of South Main. And in the name of Hanrahanism, South Main has been ruined, as we say in the countryside, ruined. Uh, particularly when you start thinking about that was an industrial area, big trucks and things. And I'm thinking about how much trouble Wenda said she would have supplying fuel to the Chevron station on the corner of South Main and Southwest 16th Avenue. There was not going to be an easy way to get in there and out of there. You think the city listened? Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to have a Southern Diamond entry to the city. Go figure. And they got Phoebe Cade. I knew Dr. Cade real well. Very good friend. The Biden put the Cade Museum there. But anyway, we have got problematic weather today, unless you love rain. 
we love rain here in the country. It grows grass for our cattle, and we've got cattle out here who love it. Uh, we're going to have intermittent rain on, and a little bit cooler. I don't think it's going to break into the 90s. Uh, so enjoy that. Hopefully we won't have a lot of lightning. That's the only thing we really don't like to see. Uh, but we get it here in Florida. The heavy rain, the question, the, the story in this nation is a couple of places. New York and California. If you take a look at New York, I'm always mindful of something James Dickey asked me one time. James Dickey wrote Deliverance. James Dickey was the poet laureate of the nation. James Dickey was an incredibly talented artist. I was a good friend of James Dickey. And when he came to the University of Florida to be the poet in residence, I was sort of in charge of looking after him. And he and I were riding around one day, and James Dickey could ask you questions that no one else would ever ask you. And he asked me, Ward, what do you think is the most frightening natural disaster? Well, I'd never had anybody ask me that question. And I answered it wrong. I went through, is it fire? No. And he gave an answer that I think is absolutely correct. It's biblical, besides mythological, rising water. Rising water is the most frightening natural disaster. You can't stop it. It doesn't pass. A hurricane passes. An earthquake settles down. A fire can be put out. You can't do it with rising water. And in California, we are undermining entire expensive neighborhoods because of water that flowed underground rivers during the saturation earlier this spring in California, which is just now washing these houses away. An incredible story of rising water. So I wanted to put that in our forecast today. Uh, we have sinkholes here and you got to be mindful of them. This is Florida. So Stay tuned. Take care of yourself. And we got uh, Ed back with us. Uh, Ed Malarski is um, telling a story of um, this city and how it lost control of its utility. So, Ed, let me get out of your way. Well, the, I guess the other thing that I was driven uh, to write the story, one of the reasons that drove me to write the story was uh, when I ran for mayor, um, one of the things that was uh, discussed was that, you know, I had just been there when all of this had occurred. Hold on, let me shut and, the production um, down. I can hear you, Zach. I can hear my production guy. I don't think anybody else can, but I can hear him. I don't want to hear him talk. Yeah, yeah I, heard, I heard a little bit of some stuff going back and forth. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to listen to him, too. Yeah, yeah, you'd rather listen to me than your production guy anyway. Yeah, he, well, um, he shouldn't have that mic open. He knows better. <laughs> so one, one of the phrases that I heard was that I was a lapdog of the commission, you know, that when I was running for mayor. Of course, and, of uh, course. Yeah, you know, okay. And yeah, I wonder who started that kind of idea. And uh, so I thought one of the, the things that really needed to be explored uh, with the community was, was the overall negotiation for uh, the biomass buyout. You know, we had this onerous contract. It was $2 billion. Uh, we'd be paying for the next 30 years uh, for this onerous contract. Next generation would be paying for uh, this. So I went into great detail in the book uh, about those negotiations. And it was a rather unconventional negotiation in that uh, we had no leverage. We, we had three sets of lawyers that looked at the power purchase agreement that was signed during the, uh, you know, Hanrahan administration. And it was unabrogatable, meaning it was not able to be broken. Um, and with that, we were obligated to pay $75 million a year, whether the plant ran or not. That was what they called a capacity payment or an available energy payment. We were being burdened by that. Rates were going to skyrocket. They already had moved up with the fuel adjustment where it was being accounted for. So people were already starting to suffer over a period of a decade when it went from the lowest priced utility to the highest priced utility in, in the state. So this is a story about 
my negotiation with a Wall Street wizard who uh, came to fame um, when he was in the gas lines of uh, during the 78 uh, oil embargo saying there's got to be a better way. So he got into building natural gas plants. He got into building biomass plants. We were the sister facility of a place um, in Austin, Texas. Uh, so I think some of the readers might find it um, almost like it's part of an MBA class uh, in those negotiations. Others might find it extremely fascinating. Um, but I think it's a story that had to be told. And um, I took great pleasure in putting that down on paper. Um, oops, I got another restart. Okay. Putting that down on paper. And it's not as dry as it may seem. There's the email communications. There's the uh, ways that I tried to seek uh, to get buy-in. This plant was worth well over a billion dollars uh, to Jim Gordon, who was the uh, the owner of um, the Greck facility. Um, to get it for $750 million and save over a billion dollars in obligations over 30 years took a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of ingenuity. And that's in the book. And you get no credit. I got no credit. You get no credit, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Pegeen put you in the hole and you got out of the hole. But she didn't acknowledge it and you get no credit. You know, well, what's amazing about Pegeen is that she should be my most vocal supporter because yes. without me coming to Gainesville, we would be suffering under this awful PPA. Instead, I made her dream something that is at least viable. It's you know, nobody would spend $750 million for a power, a, a power plant, biomass plant, you'd spend $150,000, $200,000 for the same gas plant. But it was the only alternative because we were stuck with $2 billion. She should have been on my front door saying, thank you, Ed. Instead, a month after I, I did the deal, they tried to fire me. <laughs> That's why I start with December 7, 2017. That's when they chose to try to fire me. Because I guess the useless, the, with the useless idiot, his time had expired. And I, because I didn't listen to the blind prophet. <laughs> oh god that's so funny oh man yeah we're talking with ed belarski here so ed let me fast forward a little bit here we got a question coming in i know that you don't know the answer to this nobody really knows the answer to this but here they go again they're you know the communist commissioner robert Karl marx hutch hutchison along with bottleneck botcher who wanted a two-lane Eighth Avenue, who's just Pegeen's underwrite. That whole crew of loony loonies now wants to <laughs> go raise and Joe Little. My God, that guy never saw a government he couldn't take advantage of. <laughs> um, he is. I, I thought he was about due to check out, but evidently not. Um, same old cast of characters. Remember, I said that I've noticed in government it's the same old cast of characters. We never get any fresh blood. Uh, this is one of the problems with the system. Uh, you know, unless right. you're blessed by the party, so to speak, you you can't get in. And what you get is a Brian Eastman type, blessed by the party, who doesn't deserve to be there, really. And earn his keep. Now, on down the line, as a mature, grown adult, he may. But he hasn't been through enough, in my humble opinion, to qualify as one of our community-wise people. Um so here we are uh, with a system that simply doesn't know how to divest itself of baggage. You know, back to the Greeks. In the Greeks, at one point in their, you know, so long society, <clears throat> you couldn't be a professional politician. You were chosen by lottery. Okay. Therefore, what was the most important thing for that culture to do for its people Educate them because anyone could be tapped to be a leader. We don't educate these people because we don't have a lottery. They go out and seek it themselves. It's a huge flaw. And it's based upon this democracy that the average man has the wisdom that the aristocratic man has. And, you know, that caused the rebellion against 
the aristocratic societies. But along with it, pardon me if I'm on my soapbox, we, we threw out meritocracy. We threw out meritocracy. Your meritocracy, your merit, your qualifications, your expertise in doing this really ended up to be a slap in the face to them. And they didn't want to have to admit it. So they got rid of you and made themselves look good by spinning the yarn. That is the classic twist to this plot, in my humble opinion. And Ed, you know I'm never wrong. The blind prophet is never wrong. I, I have a note on my calendar each day that <laughs> Ward is never wrong so that I don't forget it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you're right about the meritocracy. Um, you know, it's stifled um, within the system that, that we work. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, and you, you brought up, the I guess you're bringing up the lawsuit with Bobby Hutchinson right, and, right, right, and, and, and the rest. And, I, I mean, on its face, you, you just... You know, it, it's what's the perver? They they talk about the uh, shutting the the barn door after the horse is already out of the barn. I mean, that's what you know. I know you know you're you're a rural guy, so you know all about the horses being left out when the barn door right. is shut. Um, so I, I think that's what the lawsuit's all about. I mean, you have the city attorney basically in one of the meetings saying, "Listen, the state legislature has all the purview it needs over the city." It's not a construct of the Constitution of Florida. It's under the legislature's control. You have the city attorney saying that. Now, see, what the other thing that people are missing with the whole bill is that it's in effect now. I mean, it's a law now. The, the city commission is not controlling GRU, yet one of the flaws in the bill is that we have a, several months you know, from July 1st to October 4th, when the board is seated, you know, we have what? We basically have um, the city commission trying to maintain the status quo until the board is seated. There needs to be a good faith effort, I believe, under law by the city commission, given what the law is and how it's supposed to proceed. Um that's why it's really important, I think, for folks to see that they've already set aside $250,000 for potential lawsuits at the city. To me, that's not good faith. You know, some of the things that they're asking GRU to do now in the interim, I don't think is good faith. You don't have an IRP out on the street spending $250,000 to communicate with the public and say, yes, but we're just holding this as a placeholder until a new governing board is picked or appointed. So I think the city commission has to be very, very careful in this interim period. Now, I think you hear that a little bit from new mayor Ward, where he said, you know, the, the law has been cast and we have to do what we can to make the transition. But as he suggests, he isn't all of the commission. And you have folks like Brian Eastman that are doing everything they can to fight this. And I, I'm not making that up. All you have to do is read his posts on social media and Facebook. I mean, he wants this to be overturned. And the lawsuit, as I see it, has very little to do in law and mostly to do in hurt feelings. Yeah, I don't pay attention to him. I don't read him. Um, he hasn't earned my respect. Um, you know, he's one of these flashy kids and I've seen him in the classrooms. Um, so I don't, I don't pay much attention to what he's doing. I, uh, I don't know of a commissioner right now in the city that I do pay attention to. Um, I can't think of one um, at all, at all. And oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. I apologize. I've been around a long time. Um, I don't pay attention either to the county. Um, I don't pay any attention to them at all. Um, well, under the new bill, you know, if you care about your bills, what you're going to pay attention to is the appointed board because the city commission is out of it now. That's right. That's right. Um, and as long as we're talking about commissions, one of the commissions I think is really on the ball right now is Newberry. Um, the, the plants are lined up. Uh, for a while there, the plants have been lined up for the city of Alachua. 
And I, and I think that, um, um, you know, once again, you got five commissioners. They're, they're very close to the people they govern. Um, you know, they're also school teachers and business people. So, um, looking at those two models of governance, uh, Mike New used to work for GRU. Mike oh, New, absolutely. Yeah. Mike New, Mike, Mike New knows GRU inside out. Okay. We had, we had several discussions. There were, there were opportunities for GRU to get expanded gas service into, into some industrial customers. Uh, the city commission frowned upon that. Um, look, we have something like 36,000 gas customers at GRU, yet we have a philosophy at the city commission that says that we don't want to expand natural gas services and we want to get out of the natural gas business. We had a utility advisory board member that talked about, uh, paying for people's uh, replacement of gas appliances with electric appliances so that we wouldn't have that. The reality of the, of, of the energy world is that we need natural gas because it's the most efficient fossil fuel. Solar without batteries. Oh, I had a, that's my own blinking. Hold on a second. If you don't mind me blinking a little bit, uh, solar without batteries is not reliable power. It can't be considered in a sustainable electric grid. People say, oh, we're the sunshine state. We ought to be able to have all solar. Well, solar energy is not electricity until it's converted. No different than coal, no different than natural gas. And so they're being led down a path that says we can put Rooftop solar on all our homes, and that will solve the problem. Well, when we have the thunderstorm and lightning storm and we lose electricity like we could today, right? Who are you going to go to? You're going to go to GRU. So GRU has to have all the infrastructure needed to supply that power for that period of time that you're blacked out. So... Yeah, I'll do that. We'll be at the campfire. Does that light work? Are you uh, here? We are at GRU. Here we got Ed Belarski, former guy who ran GRU, and his light doesn't work in his studio. What in the world are we talking about here? What is happening here? Call somebody up for God's sakes, <laughs> <laughs> and get put on hold, and and uh, you know all that kind of good jazz, huh? Oh, well, my. you know, you mentioned that, and and I feel so bad for the folks that work in customer service at GRU because. We have a system that's over 13 years old and it's was customized and it's not upgradable. And this, there would have been money to do that if not for the biomass plant. There's the ripple effect of all the decisions the city commission has made with solar feed and tariff, the biomass plant. It means there's less money for the real things that you need to do for the utility. We have five plants that are over 40 years of age. A power plant that's 40 years of age is not going to be efficient. It can't compete against other utilities' power plants. Therefore, our costs are higher. Do you know there's some plants that we have to go on eBay to pick up control boards? Because they're not being manufactured anymore. It's like having an old card that everything has to be custom-made. They're doing the best they can with what they have, but they've been severely let down by the city commission who didn't see the forest for the trees. Look at the net zero mandate by 2045. Net zero by 2045 means that we're going to have to spend over $3 billion. There's not money in the community for that. Let's talk about that for a minute, Ed. Let's talk about the future finances of the city. Um, What are they going to do? I mean, they're going to have to cut back something and... They should be providing hard data, budget information on the essential expectations of the people who are taxed. Correct? Right. Right. I mean, one of the things that that really needs to occur is GRU has to sit down and decide whether it's going to be in the generating business any longer. You know, they've almost gave that ability up when they – the last plant they built was in the 70s, right? Uh, Deerhaven, the coal plant. So uh, it was a wonderful plant for its day, and we modified it so it can burn both fuels. It can burn on natural gas as well. 
uh, so it's it environmentally friendlier. But where's the future going to go? There's there's not the money that can be drawn from the community because we already have 1.7 billion in debt to incur more debt to do that. We best served if we buy power competitively off the grid. But we'll need to expand the interconnection to get that. But once we do that, we'll have access to all kinds of other power. Uh, we could have, you know, solar deals uh, in FPNL Duke's territory and pay for the wheelage through their uh, transmission line. Um, we have to decide whether we want to be in the telecommunication business. Grucom is losing money every year. And other places can do the retail business better. GRU shouldn't be in the business of trying to compete against Cox and AT&T. They just don't have the money to upgrade the technology in that fashion. Uh, so th they would be two things that you'd have to think of right away. And then I talked about people being at commission meetings, uh, being there as staff. One of the reasons GRU is staffed the way they are is because they report to a city commission. I mean, they have to be there at their beck and call. Look, one of the one of the conundrums of being a general manager of a commission is that you report to the body. You know, the, the seven-member body, you talked about being five members, but seven members. Well, each one of them wants to talk to you individually and wants to direct you individually, yet you can only listen to the majority. Right. Try to work in that environment. You know that, being a city manager. Right. So, no, they can't direct you. Uh, they can't tell you what to do. But they can say when they want to fire you, when you don't listen to them and you don't make their meetings, or you don't do the things that they think are appropriate. Well, listening to you, so that's and listening to you, I think the future is we're going to divest ourselves of the ownership of that utility, and we're going to go out and buy power competitively on the market. Well, I don't know if we go that far. I think water, wastewater utilities fit well in a municipal kind of atmosphere. Um, I'm not sure about the water waste water side. And I'm, okay, I think the transmission and distribution uh, works well that way. But it's the technology of generation. You know, it's the R&D and it's the keeping, it's the massive spend that would be required to get another 200 megawatt power plant into this system. I, we did the IRP. We did it back in 2019. And to do it in accordance with the net zero would be $3.6 billion. I mean, just let that money, that rattle in your head a little bit. That would be borrowable money. We're at 1.7 and we say that we have a lot of money, we have a lot of debt. We'd be tripling that. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little passionate. Sorry about that. Well, we're out of time. We'll, we'll save you from yourself. How's that for now? Okay. I, I need somebody to save me. I, the blind prophet speaks again. <laughs> We've been talking with Ed Belarski. We'll probably continue this conversation at some point in the future uh, when we get Ed back and we uh, uh, find out what the uh, tea leaves are holding for the community, which uh, right now uh, we'll see. It's, it's uh, my predict that there's lawsuits, a lot of folly and, and a waste of time and money and uh, chest thumping by people who are least qualified to know what they're talking about. But there's nothing new about that. Uh, you know, right. they'll, have their, they'll have their day, but they won't uh, won't help the people. That's the big thing. So we got to, hey, you can apply for the board if you're listening. And uh, I recommend that you listen to this uh, interview here. And it'll be on a lot of different platforms. And we're going to talk about how to spread it and get you informed. And, and, and if you want, get the book because it's a great blueprint. Yeah. And the book, you know, I'll hold it up one more time. It's out on Amazon. We're going to try to figure out how to help promote this. Um, good read. So thanks for stopping by, Ed. Um, say hello to your wife. That's a very interesting story in there. I didn't address publicly, but uh, you and I can talk about it sometime. Uh, that's one of the things that that uh, identifies you as a good man. That was very important material to have in that book. Very oh, absolutely. Material. Absolutely part of the story. So um, Mark, uh, Plantation Mark is going back to the woodpile up in Virginia. <laughs> a natural man. And uh, we'll be in tomorrow with Ted Yoho, so uh, stay tuned. Warthog Command Center out.